Welcome to another episode of From the Shed End podcast with myself, T-Dot. And as always, I'm joined by Theo. Um, episodes, what episode are we on now? I always forget. 28. I want to say 28, yeah. Episode 28. Um, but how are you doing, Theo? How's things? I'm good, good. It was good to be back at Stamford Bridge on Saturday and get the three points after two defeats on the bounce. So um, back to winning ways. And otherwise than that, I'm going to move into my new flat next week, which I'm excited about as well. So busy, busy happy period. days. Busy period indeed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, as always, guys, if you're listening or watching on YouTube, you can follow us on our social social accounts on at From the Shed End on Twitter and Instagram. It's at From the Shed End with underscores between each of the words. If you search for us on YouTube, you can find us at From the Shed End as well. Like, subscribe, comment, interact with us as well. We like all of that stuff. But let, let's take it to Saturday, Southampton. Big game. Ended at top of the league before international break, which is good. Uh, results going our way. But let's take it back. Um, back-to-back defeat before that. We spoke about that in a previous episode. But coming into this game, we did have that sort of enthusiasm again that we were going to win. So what was your thoughts on on the, the sort of lineup, the game? Obviously being there as well. What was your thoughts on all of that? It was a very wet day at, in London. <laughs> That's what, I think it was wet start off there, Yeah. <laughs> Got absolutely drenched um, walking back from Stamford Bridge at the end of the game. But it was good. It was good. Honestly, a good way to get the three points after, um, you know, as I said, two defeats on the bounce. Um, it was a confidence booster as well, I felt, because maybe, you know, when you have two defeats, you start to think, get a bit nervous. You start to think, you know, is this the right way, right approach to games? Is this the right way forward? But I felt, you know, well, I think we'll touch on it later, but the referee didn't really do as many favours in the game. I felt VAR didn't until the red card. But I felt, you know, things could have been 2-0 at halftime and that would have been a really comfortable second half but you know Premier League being Premier League it wasn't that straightforward but line up I thought it was good good choice I'm really pleased that Tuchel's finally started Loftus-Cheek the first start of Loftus-Cheek under the, the Tuchel era and it's well deserved Chiloba back in the team and he did superbly at centre-back and again well deserved and then I kind of wanted to question the subs that he made Tuchel mm. but they really paid off so I can't really question him. You know, when I, when I saw Jorginho come on and even Barkley, I thought, we're looking for a goal here. How are these still going to get a goal? And then Jorginho wins us the, the free kick that got um, Ward-Prowse sent off. Yeah. And then Barkley put in that pass that perfect was, pass. you know, perfect pass to Aspi, who then assisted um, Werner. And if that's Pogba or Fernandez, Twitter would be going into, you know, going crazy. So it's just, you have to praise Barkley for that pass as well. So fair play to Tuchel for getting those subs right and changing the game in the second half. But um but no, it was, a, it was a good three points. You know, when you, you look at the scoreline 3-1, even though those two goals came quite late in the second half, I felt, you know, it was quite comfortable. Um, I do wonder had we maybe got that second goal, had, we, had, they, we not been, had they not been 10 men. But, um, but no, quite a comfortable game, I want to say. And um, three points. And as you said, results went our, went our way over the weekend with other games. You know, United um, drawing to Everton, City and Liverpool drawing. So it was the perfect weekend to be a Chelsea fan. Yeah, it was good. It was a good lineup. Um, obviously, Ben Chilwell was a, for me, was a surprise. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if he was going to start. Um, obviously, the form that Alonso has been in, it was um, not that it was questionable. I think he, you know, he had, he had moments in the game where he did worry me. I mean, obviously, we can talk about Livramento, who at times had him on his toes, um, especially for the penalty. You know, it was a very good um, bit of skill from Livramento to to get away from. Um, there was like a small touch just as he sort of takes the ball away from Chilwell. There's an additional touch which mm-hmm. wrong foots Chilwell, mis- misjudges the whole sort of tackle completely and it is a penalty. But um, 
apart from that, I think he played really well and obviously he got a goal as well. I think he assisted the Chalibur goal from the corner, which I thought was was a you know a brilliant goal, brilliant piece of um set set piece play really because Chalibur's left on Mart at the back. I think it's Ward Prowse or it's Ward Prowse and Carl Walker Peters who are the, the nearest to him. And one of them out of the two should be, you know, as touch tight as, as possible to Chalibur. And they just they just allow him that extra bit of space. I think it's Loftus cheek it kind of yeah, on, he, onto, to Loughlin it's a Loftus cheek assist in the end, but from a Chilwell yeah. corner. But that Loftus yeah, cheek yeah. header just takes the ball to Chilwell. Who's unmarked. Yeah, great header yeah. actually. But it was a brilliant header, brilliant goal. Glad that he's got another one under his belt as well. Um, in terms of, of Southampton, I do feel like they're lacking, um, you know, a Danny Ings, and you do worry about Southampton. I mean, I'm a Chelsea fan, it doesn't really bother me. But I think in terms of the way that Southampton have done their recruitment over the years, you think about how many big names they've had come through, you know, Chamberlain, Mane, um, Fia Walcott, Gareth Bale was there at one point. They've had a lot of players who've gone for big money and they haven't really recruited the best over the years. So um, as a Southampton fan, that must be worrying. But I do think in terms of the way that Southampton started the game, there was there was spells where I thought they might give us a bit of trouble. Obviously, Nathan Redmond trying to play a bit more sort of a central forward role um, doesn't really help. And I think, you know, with five at the back, in terms of Aspie, uh, Chalibur, Silva, Rudiger and uh, Chilwell, it was just difficult for Southampton to, to break us down. And I think that was, you know, it was back to the, the Thomas Tuchel way that we know, you know, in terms mm. of being able to be solid at the back and having that sort of fluid, um, you know, the wing backs as well, being able to push forward when they need to, but dropping back as well. So I was impressed. And like you said, you know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek getting a start was, was something we've all probably been shouting for as Chelsea fans for a very long time. Um, so he put in a brilliant performance as well. But um, Timo Werner, let's talk about the goal that wasn't allowed. I think it was a foul from Aspia Quetta on Carl Walker-Peters. How is it a foul? What, it's what ridiculous. It a foul? It's, they, they took it so far back that probably Maurizio Sarri was still our manager at the time. It was, <laughs> it was honestly, it was a joke. And they even showed it on the big on the screen at Stamford Bridge and Stamford Bridge started going crazy. And, I don't know. At first, I thought maybe there was a handball in the penalty box or something like that, or a foul, you know, a push in the penalty box, something that maybe resulted in, you know, the player, you know, Werner being unmarked and scoring. But no, it was a foul that Aspi did on. I don't even think it was a foul to start off. It was very, very soft. And, um, you know, it was at least two, three minutes or, you know, at least a couple of plays before the actual goal. So it's just, that's when I think VAR is just, it's there to do it. But at the same time, you don't need it like that. You don't need it like that at all. It should be there to review kind of clear, you know, mistakes from the referee, whether that's a red card, whether that's goal light, you know, the ball crossing the line or not, whether that's um, a penalty, but just not something, a foul that was committed, you know, a couple minutes before a goal or something that happened that didn't actually affect the play of the goal. And I don't even think Southampton fans complained. Um, Southampton players were complaining to um, Atkinson. So it kind of goes to show that even they didn't really expect the goal to be ruled off. So, um, no, that was ridiculous. And then I think I put a tweet up at halftime fuming with VAR because it's just, and then we only one nil up. And when you're one nil up at halftime, anything can happen in the second half, but two nil up, which I know it was a great header from Werner and he deserved yeah. that goal. So I'm glad he got that, that goal to make it 2-1 in the 80 something minutes. But, um, but no, for me, that VAR decision was complete. You know, it was abysmal. It was terrible. Yeah, it was, it was shocking because I think, you know, we've got to remember football's a, a contact sport. So there is going to be at points where, you know, you might put your 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 hand on a player's back or just 
make contact with the player, which is why it's called a contact sport. And I think I agree with you, you know, there's only so many stages you should be able to take the, the um, sort of decisions back to. And I think that was, you know, two or three stages of play taken place. Mm, since then. Exactly. At what point are we, we're going to draw the line in the sand and say, well, hold on, that was a, a different um, part of play. We've now moved on from that. It just mm. it just doesn't make sense to me. It wasn't even a foul anyway. So that's no. the more concerning thing that. And I, I always use this example. I always use this example, but FA Cup final, the yeah. handball on from Iosi Perez that led to the yeah. Tillemans goal. That was almost the play right before the assist, I think. So it's, if you're going to rule it back, you know, for three or four plays before the actual goal, where was yeah. that in the FA Cup final? Like, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense at all. It no. doesn't make sense. No, but th- there was some sort of. Um, well, I was going to say redemption, but yeah, there was definitely some justice, I suppose. I, for me personally, I think you mentioned it before. I don't think Ward Prowse was a red, if I'm honest. Uh, I know he's coming from the back. I think Jorginho's made a meal of it, which has changed mm. the decision of the ref. I'm glad he got sent off. I mean, you know, 10 plays is better than 11, but I, I just think it was harsh. I do think it was harsh. I'll, I'll give them that. It was harsh. But I, I do think... Jorginho did make a meal. It was almost like, you know, sniper in the crowd, shot, that kind of ball in theatrics. But we don't know. I mean, he did come through from the back, which, you know, in football, they tell you that you can't do that. You know, it's a, you know, it's a red card if you tackle from the back. So um, what was your thoughts? Did you think it was a red initially when you were there? Or did you think, oh, I mean, has obviously, your mind changed? It's, so now that you mentioned, I think if that happened, if it was a, Chelsea fan committing that foul to a Southampton, a Chelsea player committing that foul to a Southampton player, I'd be fuming thinking that's not a red. But maybe there's a bit of Chelsea bias and the fact it changed the game that I will be, or will say it's red. And the ref did go to the screen and review it for a couple of minutes. So he did, you know, t- take his time, time to actually, took his time to look at it and review it. And I think he did explain um, that it, it was the actual intent that it could have been very, very dangerous. That's why it was sent off. And as you said, sniper in the crowd type of reaction from Jorginho, he was actually hurt, was he? He, yeah. he got up kind of very soon after, but he tried to make a meal out of it to maybe get Ward Prowse um, sent off. The one thing I will say, he got nothing of the ball and, you know, it's kind of a dangerous part of his foot, you know, pointing towards Jorginho's ankle. So that's when you start to think, you know, slightly different, you know, a couple of centimeters up or a couple of centimeters yeah. below. And that could be, you know, a very, very bad challenge that could actually have Jorginho off on a stretcher. Yeah. So, um, but the one Especially thing I wanted to ask you, actually, yeah. very dangerous, is yeah. I wanted to ask you a couple of times we've seen it over the last season and a half, is Mendy's distribution. That's the one thing that I still feel like Kepa kind of trumps him on is, you know, playing from the back with his feet. Yeah. A few times we've seen it now where Mendy kind of, you know, tries to clear it or pass it. And he kind of, you know, fumbles his pass. And I think it was Porto Atletico in the Champions League last season. But he redeemed himself straight away over save afterwards. But we saw it. he kind of, you know, plays Jorginho and, you know, a dangerous ball to Jorginho. Very bad ball. And I think, um, you know, Ward Prowse, obviously he sticks a foot out because he knows that if he wins that ball, he's in a one-on-one with the goal. So um, mm. it makes sense. But I still feel like Mendy needs to improve on his distribution if he wants to be kind of really counted as, you know, one of those top, top keepers in the world. Yeah. If I had to pick out some crit- criticism of mm. Mendy, it's probably that, that he hasn't yeah. got... He's not very good at distributing a ball, like you say. Um, he's definitely not good at playing it out from the back because we've seen that on numerous occasions now as well. Um, if we could mould Kepper and Mendy together, we would probably have the best goalkeeper in the world because 
there's parts of Kepa that I like. There's definitely parts of Mendy that I like, but having the two of them together would be brilliant. Um, it hasn't really troubled us as such, but no, it, not it can, yet. you know, not yet, but it can creep in. And I think the more, obviously that's the, the two core way of playing and the style of football that a lot of clubs play now in the Premier League is to play out from the back. So you have to be confident in that. You look at Edison, he's probably the best at doing that in terms of playing out from the back for City. You almost, sometimes he's playing sweeper, he's playing central defence because he's that good at it and he's, he's good on his feet. So I think that's what separates, I suppose, a goalkeeper that can play out from the back is mm. someone like Edison, who is brilliant at it. Um, probably not the best goalkeeper, in my opinion, in the Premier League. I'd still put Mendy ahead of him. Um, but if we're talking about playing out from the back, Edison's head and shoulders above him because mm-hmm. he can actually do it better. So it's a tough one. I think Mendy is good. Def- I agree with you. He's definitely got to get that sort of part of his game mm. nailed down a bit more, um, especially now that we've seen the, the best, I think, of Kepper as well. It could only be a matter of time, you know, a slight injury that keeps Mendy out or um, thinking of maybe African Cup of Nations. Would mm. you go in there as well? I think so. I still still wonder if that's going to be held in January and if Senegal, because I know Ziyech is not part of the Moroccan team anymore, but yeah. I, think, I think Mendy will play a part of Senegal in January. Yeah. yeah. So if he does go, you know, Kepa comes in, you know, it's mm. a, it's a, if he plays well for that, you know, period of time that Mendy might be away, do you for, drop him after? Do you, yeah? Do you, do you even bring him back into the team? Is he going to be warm in the bench because Kepa's playing really well? And as we 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 know, Kepa can play out from the back. We've we've mm. seen that as well. So um, it's going to be interesting. I think it'll be it'll be it's a good dilemma to have in a way. You know, I'd rather have two goalkeepers that are a relatively good quality, but obviously you can only play one goalkeeper. So it's good to have two. It's a, it's a good headache to have, I suppose. Um, but I agree with you. You know, he's got he's got to sort out his feet and his distribution. His his thinking of doing things has got to be a little bit better as well. So, mm-hmm. um, hopefully, that comes with time. I think that's just going to come with time, practice. Um, you know, the the sort of calmness, I suppose, of the centre backs as well. Um, that sort of playing together all the time that might come, but we we don't know. Um, but I just wanted to mention as well because obviously we've we've watched the previous couple of games where we haven't really had shots on target and I think we had 20 shots in total I think nine on target against mm. Southampton um Lukaku was relatively quiet in terms of um scoring obviously he didn't get on the score sheet but um there was a, a an article um Antonio Conte had basically said that Thomas Tuchel isn't getting the best out yeah. of Lukaku at the moment would mm. you would you agree with that I think we saw what he's capable of doing in those first couple of games against Arsenal and even um, Champions League, you know, his heading ability against Zenit. But I think he, as you said, he has gone a bit quiet recently. And I do think that's maybe the football we play and the formation we play with Tuchel. And then maybe he hasn't really had many games yet with Mason Mount, potentially, you know, who's maybe our most creative player. And even Reese James, we know how good Reese James is with, you know, delivering the ball into the box. But um but yeah, I kind of do agree with Conte. I don't think we've seen the best of Lukaku yet. I'm ex- still expecting a 20-goal season from him. I think he's on, um, how many goals is he on now? He's on, I want to say, three or four, three Premier League goals? I think it might be four Premier League four. goals. Or maybe two three. Against, two against Aston Villa, one against Arsenal, I think, yeah. But, um, but yeah, yes, I, I think I saw, you know, with Vardy and um, Salah on six now, you're starting to think, you know, this is when the, you start to look at who's in the race for the golden, um, the golden boots. But I do kind of agree with Conte, but at the same time, maybe he got so you know used to Italian football 
And, you know, he's come relatively late in the transfer market to Chelsea, I think midway through August, something like that. So I think still think maybe he needs um, needs a bit more time under Tuchel to gel. But I, I still think, you know, once we have that kind of bought him, that service, he'll be fantastic. And I, yeah. We saw glimpses of that, you know, again, in the Arsenal game when he was just bullying defenders, creating space for, you know, the wing backs and playing with his back to goal. But um, I do kind of want to see him a bit more on the ball as well. That's the one problem I think we he's, he's yeah. kind of dealing. But that's maybe almost a compliment to him that he's so good that he's just man-marked out of the game by like three or four defenders at the time. I think it was against um, the Aventus game. As soon as he got the ball, I think the lead Bonucci and maybe another player will just surround them, all three of them together. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, with the amount of games we have in October, Norwich, but um, Brentford, Newcastle, those type of games, I'd expect him to score a couple in those. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting because I think when he was at Inter, he he did play with the two up top, didn't he? He had a, a almost like a, a second strike partner in a, is it Mart- Martinez? Baltara Martinez, yeah, yeah. So I think maybe Tuchel, obviously looking at when we played Man City, I did say it was the wrong game, and I, st- I still agree with that. I think it was the wrong game to try and play two up top, but I think if he's got like a team of Werner up front with him, we'll probably see the. We'll see more of Lukaku. And it's still early days. We're only seven games into the Premier League, mm-hmm. say only, but it's still relatively early into a season. Um, but I do agree with you, you know, October, he's got to try and hit it. Well, October, November, you know, those, those kind of key periods, he's got to hit the, the ground running, get a few goals. What he doesn't want to do is go for a period of games where he's not scoring, or he's not playing well. Pressure starts to mount on him and, you know, He's, you know, he's coming with ninety-seven million, which is still a lot of money. We know what he can do, so I think it's probably even worse because we, the expectation we have of him, is to to play the Inter Milan sort of Lukaku or the, you know, the twenty-goal a season Lukaku. That's what we we paid ninety-seven million for. So that pressure is going to be building on him as well. But I'm confident he can do it. I think we've, you know, we're not. I, I think especially when people non-Chelsea fans think of Lukaku, they think of the, you know, the Man United, West Brom, Lukaku, Everton, Lukaku, who was re- relatively young. He's adapted his game when he went to Serie A as well. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely become a better player for it. So I think we'll get the best out of him. It's just early days, like you said, that link up with uh, Mason Mount as well. I think that's going to be a key part. It, Mason Mount being at the team, we've noticed that already. When he came on on uh, Saturday, mm the difference in the squad was was already there. You could see the difference. I think the first touch of the ball, I can't remember what play it was, but he just sort of took the player out of the game a bit and just, you know, ran past it. It was just those little bits of play that he can do is what I think we've been missing. Yeah, definitely. Um, as I said, the game against Southampton, it was kind of one of the substitutions, Mount um, Barkley and Jorginho. They were fantastic when they came on. And I do agree, once we have that link up with uh, Mount and Lukaku, I do think he'll get that service, those balls that he needs. We saw it a couple of times, I think, in the, the Liverpool game at Anfield. Some good passes between, I think, Havertz, Lukaku and Mount. Mm. I do kind of think, you know, I do like the Werner-Lukaku um, you know, front two. I do think Werner's capable of taking defenders out of the game or creating space for Lukaku. But um, I think it's just a nice choice for Tuchel to have, you know, that kind of dilemma, which kind of two players or three players to start up front. And we haven't even mentioned Ziyech or Pulisic yet. So, yeah. and even Hudson-Odoi, who had a very good game against Southampton, I felt, um, you know, playing in his natural position. So I thought, you know, those are kind of amazing, you know, attacking um, options that we have to partner Lukaku. But I still think that the Mount-Lukaku um, link-up will be the most important for the season if we want Lukaku to get um, close to that 20-goal mark. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. And I think 
hopefully we get to see that as well. Um, like we've said, there's some important games coming up. So fingers crossed we can we can see that from Lukaku. But let's talk about Antonio Rudiger, who at the moment is kind of sitting in limbo by the sounds of things. He's um, obviously clearly happy to stay at Chelsea for the right amount of money on his new contract that's currently sort of pending. But there is now interest from Bayern Munich, which has always kind of been there anyway. Um, obviously, the, the German link is there. But um, he's honoured by Bayern Munich's interest, but he's happy to stay at Chelsea, according to reports. Um, how do you think this is going to play out? It's kind of anno- slightly annoying me now that he's flirting with these other clubs. And I do think, as I said in a previous episode, if it come come January, if he still hasn't signed that contract, I'm kind of thinking, you know, you're playing at Chelsea for the next five months, but are you really committed to the club if you still haven't signed the contract? And um, I do think this is a new trend now with footballers. We're seeing, we're seeing it a bit more than Mbappe at the moment. It's almost letting their contract run out of the club mm. in the hope of maybe getting more money, you know, in terms of wages at their new club because they're not paying, um, you know, a big transfer fee that maybe they can allow to pay more wages and also a higher agent fee. So I think maybe that's what Rudiger's agent is trying to do with him. You know, sell him. If you run down your contract at Chelsea, you can get more money at another club and I can get more money as an agent as well. But um, I still think he's, he is committed to Chelsea. I don't see why he'd want to go elsewhere than Chelsea at the moment. He's playing under a German manager. He's got German teammates. He's, you know, probably one of our best players at the moment. He's really reliable. And we do need him at the end of the day. You know, we lost to Mori, um, you know, in the, in the summer. And I think Rudiger... There's probably a reason why we lost to Mori based on his form and the same with Christensen, Silva and even Chalaba in preseason. So um, I do think we need to sign him down to a new contract. I don't think we should be paying him anywhere near what he's buying. I think we're saying 400,000. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that, which is probably, they can afford to pay that simply because um, they're not paying a fee for him from Chelsea, maybe if they, they're getting him on a free. But um, if he wants 200,000, I know that's a lot of money for a centre-back, but you know, if you get in front of two or three year contract on that money, then I say do it. But um, I just kind of bit fed up of seeing all these articles and rumors of him flirting with these other clubs. I'm seeing Madrid one day, I'm seeing Munich the next. There's always been that interest from PSG and Tuchel's even admitted that when he was manager of PSG, he said that he wanted to sign Rudiger. So I still think it's a bit of interest from PSG that's still there as well. But um, but no, if it comes comes January, if he still hasn't signed a new contract, that's what I'm starting to think. You know, maybe he's not as committed to Chelsea as I thought. Yeah, and I think it's going to be it's going to be um, yeah, it's going to be sort of interesting because I think at the, the you know obviously if we if we can keep him, you know he's he's been probably the best centre back we've had so far this season. Um, in term maybe in line with Thiago Silva, who I think is is obviously well experienced, world class. He's just on the other side of his football in years, so I think keeping Antonio Rudiger is key. I think paying him 400,000, I think Lukaku's on 325, but he's meant to be getting goals. I expect that from a striker. A centre-back, yeah, it just, it just seems a lot of money, 400,000 a week. And I would say that about any player, whether it was Mason Mount or whoever, I just I just think, you know, 400,000 pounds is a, a lot of money a week. And I, I personally don't see us even entertaining that kind of offer from um, Rudiger I think we've offered 135 maybe increasing that up to 200,000 as a, as a sort of you know top level but it'd be a shame to lose him it's, it's, a, it's a weird one because I don't, I don't want to lose him but I wouldn't want to see him you know do a um, 
an Abamyang, I suppose, and um, you know, sort of go quiet. Mm. You know, you signed a deal, went quiet, stopped scoring. The money was there. He wasn't really, you know, you lose interest. I think you know, players lose interest when they bring in those um, those big contracts. But got a comment down there: Dobley's wages two hundred and fifty five thousand. Yeah, maybe, but I think at the same time as well. Um, you know, again, I don't want to give him 250 grand a week and then he, he downs tools and he starts being sloppy. We've seen it with Rudy Good before. He's not always been the Rudy Good that we're seeing today or, you know, in football. He, he's not always been the best centre-back and he has had mm. a lot of, you know, he's prone to mistakes, which he seems to have ironed out. But, you know, it's a lot of money. So I think <laughs> if he's committed to Chelsea, 200 grand is a, you know, is a reason be, is yeah. it's a lot of money a week. You know, I'm sure anyone who's, played football before at any level, you know, 200 grand's a lot of money. So I just think if he wants 400 grand, buy Munich will pay that by the looks of it. Let him go. It's probably better for us. We can get this resolved as soon as possible. Don't really want this going into, you know, the beyond January and that sort of stage where, you know, if we are trying to win a Premier League, you know, you want all your players focused on actually trying to win the league rather than trying to hear all the rumours in the changing room about Rudiger's contract as well. But it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. The one thing that I think will, is if we offer him that kind of money, what's to say a player like Christensen, another centre-back who's playing brilliantly, says, well, I deserve higher money as well. If Rudiger's getting that much and I'm putting you know equal performances as him, I would deserve that much. Or even a, you know, a midfielder who's a similar age to a Rudiger's, maybe a Jorginho, you know, saying like, you know, I'm in line to win the Ballon d'Or. Why can't I be paid, you know, over 200,000? So it starts to kind of have that chain effect or snowball effect where you're thinking, you know, if you offer one player that much, next thing you know, a couple other players will want, you know, to be, you know, matched on Rudiger's wages. And I think this is all stems from the, the fact we tried to sign Kunde and we offered him, I think it was 180 or 200,000. So that's another kind of thing we need to consider if it doesn't have that effect on, you know, other players' contracts that maybe aren't even, don't really deserve that type of money just yet at least. So we need to consider yeah. that as well. Yeah. And I agree with the, I do agree with the comment down there. Mm. Um, you know, he is probably one of the best defenders, not just in Europe, I think in the world for me, I think he's, he's, he's that good. Um, replacing him would cost more potentially not because I think when we you know yes in a transfer fee it will but I think in terms of Kunde, who like you just mentioned you know we were going to get him he wasn't going to cost us you know I think it was 180,000 I think we was going to pay him a week in wages which is 20 grand less than what I think Rudiger's asking for at the moment so you know I, I, I do agree um yeah you know cost around 30 million four or five years for a defender um replacing will cost us double, even triple. But sometimes if the player doesn't want to be at the club as well, you've got, you know, that is just the price you pay. You know, if the if the player wants to move on and go to another club, I think it's just the price you pay as a, as a club. You know, you, you lose a, a player because they don't want to be there. You can't keep him, you know, the deal's not going to be done if he doesn't want to, if he doesn't want to sign it. So we either sell him or we, we let him go for free as well. So it's a lot, it's a lot to take in. Um, you know, it's a lot to take in. Again, I agree, you know, Silver will be gone, but I'm confident we've got Christensen still there. You know, we've still got um, Chalabar and I'm sure if we do lose um, Antonio Rudiger, we will definitely replace him with someone of the, the same sort of um, capabilities as him as well. I think we'll we'll probably go back in for Kunde as well and maybe even strengthen again. If, again, if we lose Silver, which is looking very likely, we'll end up bringing in more centre-backs as well. Not offer 80 million for Tomori to buy him back as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a Chelsea way of doing things, isn't yeah. it? So, um, 
yeah, I think I think um, it's going to be interesting. I think we'll we'll definitely see um, how that one pans out as well. But another good bit of news, I suppose, if you're a Chelsea fan, Roman returns. Roman Abramovich is back in London um, officially. Not sure for how long. I think he's used an Israeli um, loophole, so he's he's got Israeli citizenship which has allowed him to come back into the country, into the UK for the first time since 2018. Um, the, the visit is purposely a thing for visiting family, but Chelsea is also his family. So does that mean that he's able to come to a few games? Um, well, what's your thoughts if, if you can see Roman back at Stamford Bridge? It just had a little extra boost among the fans because we do miss him. I feel like he's quite a... You know, a character when he goes to Stamford Bridge. I know he's an owner, but above all, he's a fan of the club, you know. So um, we want to see him, you know, in his usual box um, above in the West Stand. And, um, you know, even like I go to the game, so I can't really spot him. My eyesight's not that good, maybe. But even just seeing pictures or videos of him celebrating goals post-game is, is quite special. I don't think we get that with any other owner of a club. So um, mm. it'd be nice to have him back. And I think as well as the players, I think we don't really see the start of Roman, but I think he is quite influential in the dressing room. You know, he travels to Porto. He was there in Munich with his family. We do want him, you know, to, to be there supporting the club, chatting to the players, club captain, Aspilicueta. I'm sure he's got a good relationship now with Abramovich. So um, having him at Stamford Bridge, I think, um, for a game in October, if he stays that long and if he's able to get to the bridge, would be special. I definitely would be for the players, for the fans, and just for the club in general. Yeah, I think even just visiting Cobham, I think that would just mm, be yeah. being able to go there and speak to some of the players that he's potentially never really met. Um, apart from maybe you know Porto after the, the Champions League final, but just seeing them on a day to day basis, working on the training ground or having that closer relationship, maybe with Thomas Tuchel as well, which is mm. um, something that you know as Chelsea fans we haven't really seen our owner be, been able to do since 2018 because of those restrictions. But it's going to be uh, from what I've been reading, I think it's going to be difficult to get him to a game because again he's not he's not he's not allowed around any of his assets. Obviously Chelsea being one of his major assets in terms of owning the club. So if you can find a loophole to get back into the UK, United Kingdom, I'm sure you can find a loophole <laughs> in getting into Stamford Bridge, which will be will you know be brilliant for the fans, like you say. Um just knowing that he's there as well from might even boost some of the players. Um, you know, just maybe to give them another, you know, 10%, you know, work a bit harder, just knowing that he's there as well. So there's a lot, lot, you know, to take in. And I think it's it's just good to have your owner in the club, you know, in, in the stadium as well and around the club, like you said. So it's going to be interesting. I think he's here um, for a couple of months, I think. Um, obviously, he hasn't got to, like a, got, got to go back anytime soon. So it'd be interesting to see if we can maybe get him a disguise and get him into Stamford Bridge <laughs> or something. But um, it's going to be interesting. I just thought we'd talk about that briefly. So it's good to see Roman back in London anyway, whether that's at Stamford Bridge, we'll, we'll soon find out, I think, in a couple of days. Um, next game being Brentford. So um, hopefully you might get get a little secret backdoor um, into, <laughs> I was going to say Griffin Park. It's not Griffin Park anymore, is it? I can't Brent, Brentford, Brentford Community Stadium, I think it's called now. I was going to yeah. show my age a bit there, but um, but yeah, let's hope Roman gets into some of the games. Good to see him back in London, but let's get on to the fun stuff. Let's talk about some memorable Chelsea kits. I had to go all the way back to 93, I think. Okay, I haven't gone that far back. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back to 93. And the only reason is because that I remember, vividly remember 93 being the reason 
um, I fell in love with Chelsea was because at the time I had a Commodore 64. You probably don't know, probably don't know what a Commodore 64 is. It was a computer. It was an old computer console, but it was sponsored. The sponsor was Chelsea. So basically Commodore sponsored Chelsea. So the liking was from there. Um, one of the reasons, but um, I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to let you go first with, um, I've got top three, but I'm going to give you some honorable shout out moments as well. Um, for some of your kits. So, favorite Chelsea kits I mean, it's quite it's quite easy to go back to the first Chelsea kit you owned which was not actually I look back at a picture of it now it's not actually that nice but it was the the grey um, Cudicini um, I think 2003-2004 goalkeeper kit and it had like a weird pattern on the back with Fly Emirates as the sponsor and we still had yeah. the old um, Chelsea um, badge at the time with CFC and the, the kind of lion around it not that nice of a kit, but you know it's quite memorable to me. But I still want to say it's one of my favorites, and I think it's quite. When I say favorite kits, I want to kind of consider two things. I want to consider the memories we created wearing that kit, but also how aesthetically you know nice it is to look at, and you know to look at the players wear it. So taking that in mind, I'm just, there's two kits that I really loved. I'm a sucker for anything with a bit of gold on it. So um, the Chelsea, um, the Umbro one, we won our second Premier League title in. Uh, 2000 and in 2006, 2005, 2006. So we still had, um, I think we had Samsung Mobile at the time and it had a bit of a gold yeah, trim. Yeah. I think the 100th anniversary of the club, something like that. So that was a um, really nice kit. And obviously, um, I think Joe Cole scoring against Man United, you know, that nice goal wearing it. And I've got it downstairs actually with Frank Lampard, number eight on the back. Um, really nice kit. So one of my favorites. And then the second one with the gold again, the 2012-2013 one, which we won the Europa League in um, in Amsterdam, wearing it. It was just such a nice kit to look at, you know, very clean, very simple, but, you know, second, you know, we just won the Champions League. We felt like we, we deserved to wear some gold on our, on our kit. Yeah. And then the third one, I think it's really grown on me and it's the one I'm wearing now, actually. It's not so much, I remember when we first released it, I'm like, that looks like a broken television. It's not nice. <laughs> but it's the, 2000 and for those who are listening to this the 2016-17 away kit so it's got a bit of like fluorescent yellow and kind of like gray you know almost looks like broken tv like stripes across it yeah and the reason it kind of grew on me is just the matches we played and i remember under that first conte season were just brilliant you know obviously i think a couple of leicester away games that we won in it everton away we won that really comfortably over pedro rocket i remember but obviously the one game that just stands out is west brom away when we won the league yeah, with yeah. the Batshuayi, you know, scoring in the quite late on in the game, wearing it. And then yeah. obviously seeing all the players celebrate in the dressing room. We had, we had Costa, Hazard, Fabregas, David Luiz at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It must have been a special, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember it's like even, I think West Brom fans were selling their tickets to Chelsea fans you know, for ridiculous prices. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I think those are my top three. I want to say from the last 20 years, maybe, because um, I could go further back and have some, you know, auto glass, you know, kits yeah, that yeah. really stand out. But um. I think so. I'm sure you're going to bring up some some ones from the 90s. But... I've, got some in, I've got some in the vault, but I'm just going to yeah. go back to the comments here. So 2003, 2005 kit. Classic. That was a brilliant kit, really was. Um, last season's kit was awesome as well. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you mean the home kit, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to, yeah, I'll give you I'll give you that one. It grew on me. It grew on me. It grew on me, yeah. So... Yeah, we've got 03, 05 home kit as number one away last season and Sari's yellow kits being number three. It's a good shout. It's a good shout. Um, like I said, 92, 93. I think that was the um, 
yeah, it was sort of the only the only weird thing about it was the collar was really sort of like a polo collar, but mm. it was um it had white, blue, blue stripes and red stripes, and I, I really hate Chelsea kits with with red on. I know this is kind mm. of orange, so I'll, I can get away with that, but. Yeah, red with Chelsea. Yeah, I'm not. I'd have to agree. Fine. I'd have to agree. So, yeah. um, my my second one was there was a um, taking it back now. There was a '94 grey kit, mm. um, grey and orange. Was it grey and orange? Yeah, which, which went really well. Kind of reminds me of uh, sort of like the um, Rude Hollick kind of days, Viali mm. days, those kind of days. Then um, that was a really different. I, I like different kits. Um, which is why I agree with you that the kit you've got on now has grown on me as well. Um, and like you mentioned, the, the, the sort of Batshuayi game, that West Brom game, it does take you back to that Diego Costa kind of days as well, doesn't it? So um, my, my fa- one of my favourite old kits though was the, I think it was 97 FA Cup final. Um, yeah, I'd have to I'd have to get a picture of it for you, but it's um, it was, we were sponsored by Cause at the time and um, yeah it was just a really sort of different kit um sort of had the umbro button two i think two buttons a nice collar with like sort of blue white yellow big crest as well the old sort of crest on there as well again reminds me of sort of um you know rude hollet those kind of days as well that's my childhood so i think that those kind of ones remind me of that um we had a really good auto glass one i think it was 1999 yeah, mm-hmm. 1999 auto glass was 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 a very good kit. I think that was sort of like Gus Poyet days. Then I think, um, yeah, I think we had the Gus Gus Poyet sort of Lasso those kind of days. Mm. Um, you, you did take some of my my faves actually. 2005 <laughs> was my favorite one. Yeah, that was my favorite one. Um, the 2012 2013. I think yeah. that's the Europa League one, wasn't it? The yeah. the, the all gold Samsung gold. That was probably my favourite kit, actually. Um, I don't actually wear it. I just, I can't wear that one. That's going to be framed. Um, but my, my favourite one, actually, is the one that I've got on now. Mm. Um, you know, I love this one. I think it's just different. We very rarely get, like, all black um, kits, which I think, and for any, anyone who's not um, watching, I forgot my words, and anyone who's not watching and they're listening, it's the is it, it's last season. Seriously? 2019, 20, 2019, 20, 2019, 20, 2019, 2020, a season, 2020, a season 2020, that felt like it lasted an eternity. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was trying to think when it was, but yeah, mm. the COVID season. Um, so yeah, it's the all black one and it's, it's got like the original wrong side. It's got the original sort of Nike logo. So it's got, that's a very old school Nike logo on there, which is what I like. The only thing I don't like about our kits at the moment is the side sponsors. I hate side yeah. sponsors on kits. Um, could be worse, could be sponsors on the back, which is even worse as well. Um, but then my kits, I, I, I do, I do think we, we've, now we've gone back to sort of the night kits. I prefer the quality of them. I think when we had, um, I remember ha- having an, um, I think it was an Adidas kit, I think, and I, I played football in it and so it, it was brand new as well. And, um, someone just went to tackle me and the whole shirt just came apart, like literally just ripped. So they were never of good quality anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was very, I was disappointed. A brand new, brand new kit as well. You um, can't put them in a tumble dryer either, I feel, if not the the whole yeah, like it comes printing away. just 
comes like off and it looks like a desert or something afterwards yeah, like yeah. sand desert it's horrible I've but made um, that mistake before i think yeah. i made it with this one as well um but yeah yeah those are my kits when yeah definitely gus poye uh comment there gus poye, poye the so legends i'd have to agree um i think one of the kits i've mentioned reminds me of iron robin the 2004 or five, yeah. yeah that kit just reminds me of Iron Robin and Frank Lampard in his prime as well. You've got to think about mm. Lampard was in his prime then. So, um, yeah. The Mourinho you know, days, the good Mourinho, Mourinho days. Yeah. yeah. The sort of Mourinho where he's charismatic and funny and, um, you know, all those things that we just wanted in a manager, he was doing that for us. So mm. those are my sort of favorite kits, but yeah. this is, this is probably the overall favorite one, but the 2005 gold kit is probably my, yeah, memorable kit as well. Yeah, we've, we've yeah. each picked an away one that I think Batshuayi has created a good memory for us in. I think West Brom away for me and Ajax, um, Ajax away in that in that black and orange yeah. one for you. Yeah, but um, but yeah, and it's another, another thing about that 2005-2006 kit, I just remember being quite young and watching the Chelsea parade and all of the players were you kind of, you know, still wearing, I think it's, we just won the Premier League in 2006. Yeah, yeah, and it all came down to Fulham Road, and you know it was the season we were wearing those kits. So that's another happy memory, and I felt like we, you know, as I said, we deserve every time we wear gold, we have a bit of gold in our kits. It's the season after we've won a big trophy, so I feel like yeah. there's an extra bit of element of you know making it a bit more special. So that's another um, shout as well. There's a surprise that neither of us have chosen this year's kit. Um, <laughs> this is home kit. Anyway. <laughs> the, the away one's not too bad, actually. I think the away ones are fine. We need um, to wear it first, I feel, to make a... Yeah, that's a good point. We, we, it, haven't but, worked, no. we haven't, have we, I don't think. I'm thinking as well of the fixtures we have in October. Maybe Mal- Malmo away, I think, is the one I think we might wear an away kit. Yeah. But that's I don't know, maybe Norwich, we might wear that dark one or potentially even Brentford, we might wear the dark one as well. I think it's just a question of, you know, whoever's in charge of this will look at the fixtures and think, this kit needs to be an elite, worn at least four times this season. Yeah. Even if we, I think like Newcastle last season, we could have worn our blue kit, but we wore that pink and, you know, yeah, pink yeah. and blue one. So it completely depends sometimes. And, you know, if we're allowed, if we're able to wear an away one, we'll, we'll wear an away one, but we'll see. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I, I do like this season's one. It's, it's, it has grown on me a lot. I think when we first all seen it and the, the promo video for it was a bit, a bit crazy, but I think it has it definitely grew on me. And I think obviously winning the Champions League and getting the sort of champions on Europe from the back, I just had to get that because I think in a couple of years I can frame that one as well and just have it there. Um, but yeah, we haven't really, it's not kits, but I do love the training gear as mm. well. I think the training gear is definitely, um, which I still haven't got, so I'm ashamed that I'm even bringing this up. Um, I need to get the sort of um, the turquoise yeah. sort of... Yeah, Champions League one. ones. Yeah. Oh, I've got to get that one because that's... That's um, I don't know if it's on the website actually. I, I think that's why I haven't got it because I'm sure I was trying to find it on the website. I can't find it. So, um, yeah, there we go. Turbo Timo with the lightning at the side of the kit. I mm. I like it. I do like it. I do like it. Um, I I I get advise anyone who's listening to get the um, the the match day. Is it the match day one you can get, the, which is the the vapor, vapor or the vapor. The, vapor, the vapor fits always a lot better than the, yeah, yeah. the actual replica one but you have to pay i yeah. think 20 30 quid more 
but yeah, the fitting is better bad. and around the sleeves it's usually a lot tighter which is better you know better fit yeah, yeah. but um like i love the tiago silver um home one from last season as a vapor and the fit is perfect absolutely i made perfect. the mistake of getting the uh the cheaper version on the home mm. kit and it's it's very thin as well the mm. material's not the best on it so you can it's almost see-through <laughs> so it's um <laughs> Yeah, if you if you a bit like me and get frustrated watching Chelsea, it's probably not the best thing to do. Taking <laughs> your shirt off, but um, but yeah, so it's um, you know, we've had some brilliant kits over the years. We've had some memorable moments in the kits as well. But um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good couple of days, I think, just to sort of reflect on on our win against Southampton. Hopefully, I think we haven't mentioned, but I think Reese James has gone to um the the England squad. He's he's been pulled out now, hasn't he? He's he, okay. they, uh, they've replaced him with Ben Chilwell. No, because he was still training in a swimming pool and wasn't you know, <laughs> training on the on the pitch. So they've replaced him with Ben Chilwell and former blue Tammy Abraham's now in as well, which is yeah. well deserved, I feel. So they deserve it, both of them. I tell you what, it would be brilliant if we had Tammy Abraham and uh Lekaku up front. It would be, That'd be a nice partnership, I it think. It would actually work. It would actually yeah. work, I think. Um it's a shame. But yeah, it's good but to we'll, see obviously Tammy's in the in the squad as well. Yeah, I think we'll cover that on a future episode, players that we've regretted that have yeah. left Chelsea, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But as always, guys, we've come to the end. So, um, yeah, if you're listening or watching, I should say, you can obviously see on the screen at the bottom, our social accounts are there. But for those on Apple or Spotify, if you're listening on the podcast, it's at From The Shed End on Twitter. And on Instagram, it's at from the shed end with underscores between each of the words. And again, you can just search for us on YouTube from the shed end. We should come up, subscribe to us, please. And just give us some comments, some likes. If you've got better kits than we haven't discussed, let us know. There's been loads of kits that we haven't mentioned as well. Um, give us your thoughts on Roman returning. Rudiger's contract as well. Would you pay him 400000 a week? It's a lot of money. Is he worth the money? Let us know. And we'll be back for the Brentford preview as well, which is, um, I think it's Saturday kickoff, isn't it? I think Saturday in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be back for the Brentford one. We'll, um, we'll definitely be discuss- discussing the, the plays that we let go. Um, and we, we, we now regret. There's definitely a few that I could think <laughs> more, of. The top of my head. More than a few. More than a yeah. few, I think. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely be covering that on the next episode as well. But for everyone who's been listening or been tuned in, Thanks for listening. This has been episode 28 of From the Shed End Podcast with myself, T-Dot, and Theo. Thanks for, thanks for joining us.